It definitely helps to break down a big problem into small problems, into small things to solve. And then just taking one thing at a time. Hi, this is Karen Worthy. I recorded this episode with Alina Panas a while back, and I wanted to release it in March because March is B Corp month, where B Lab and the global B Corp community join together to celebrate what it means to be a B Corp. Alina's story is amazing. She talks about how she started from basically nothing, worked her way up, and is currently the chief financial officer as well as the chief operations officer at a B Corp. And the big problem that she solved was how to get her company certified as a B Corp and the challenges that it went through. It was an 18-month process and a really big deal. And so I wanted to highlight what that is in honor of B Corp Month in March. Stay tuned. Alina has a lot of really good insights, not only into B Corp specifically, but in how to solve something that is a long-term project and is pretty daunting. There's a lot of information in here about how to really break a problem down into different steps. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to Solved It, the show where we explore big, impossible problems and talk to the people who solve them. I'm Karen Worthy, your host, and I'm excited to have you here. Let's get started. Today, we'll be talking with Alina Panas, a Chief Financial and Operations Officer at The Mix and at Titanium Worldwide, who has solved some difficult problems over the last few years. But before we dive into that, I'd like to start the story a little earlier. Solving big problems requires putting people first, and that's something Alina has done throughout her career. Alina, welcome. Happy to have you here. Hi, Karen. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Of course. As I've gotten to know you, I've become even more impressed with your story, and I'd love to start a little earlier in your journey. Can you tell me a little bit about your early career and any challenges you faced when you were first starting? Of course, yes. So I came to U.S. about 25 years ago with dollars in my pocket and a diploma. I've faced challenges as any immigrant coming to the U.S., um, uh, but in the end, I was able to secure a job selling Kirby's, and it was pretty much selling Kirby's door to door. And I learned a lot about the American way, about the culture here and the people. I really enjoyed that part of my career. Let me interrupt for a second. A Kirby is a vacuum cleaner, right? Correct. It's a Kirby. It's a very expensive vacuum cleaner that's supposedly doing everything but cooking. Oh, my gosh. Did you know anything about sales before you started selling vacuum cleaners door to door? I didn't know. But this was pretty much the only apple part that I got during the, my first two months here. So I figured, why not? Let me try it. Love that. So many things in my career and in some of the people that I've met started with, why not? Let me try it. And I love that attitude about that. Perfect. What did you do after a vacuum sales? Yeah. So after the vacuum sales, I ended up working in a department store as a cashier. It was in Brooklyn. And about two months in, no, even earlier than that, probably about a month in, I was asked if I know how to use a computer. And I said, of course I know how to use a computer. So they've asked me to support the bookkeeping operation, the five retail branches. So they pretty much taught me QuickBooks at that time and how the retail business ran. 
really loved it, ramped up really fast. And that's pretty much where I said, okay, this is the path that I want to follow. What was it about the bookkeeping and the operations side that you love so much? I really like the idea that it's important to build the backbone of the business. And a lot of times, let's say that it's considered the back office. It's not exactly the back office. I see it as the backbone or the spine holding it all together. So it, having a clear understanding of the financial and the operations of the business and it, it's important for the business owners to, to see the direction that they want to go and decisions they want to make. I love that. What happened next? So next, I had the chance to meet a wonderful person, Richard Solomon. He was the CEO of Encore Technologies Magnum. He really inspired and motivated me to, to do so much more than I could possibly do. And I discovered my lens and strengths. So he offered me this position as corporate account in, at Encore Technologies, where I really developed further into accounting, uh, finance, operations, and I had my hand also in marketing, sales, trade shows. So I would say that pretty much that's where my career actually took off. I love that. What do, you had said, I'm going to jump around a little bit for a second here. You had said you came to the U.S. with a degree. What was your degree in? Very good question. It was actually a bachelor in arts, in linguistics and literature with focus on foreign languages. Not what you would expect from a chief financial officer. But you fell in love with numbers and with finance as you started to work your way through your career. Is that true? I, I did. Yes, I did. So having that bilingual or multilingual mind really helped me with both my creative self and my analytical mind to mix it up and look at the finances and operations of a business more creatively. Like, I know sometimes even translating it, let's say not everybody speaks the numbers language. So translating it to CEOs or senior management in a different way that they understand them. They, they look at the numbers of what can these do for us and how can I use this? That's an interesting way to think about that with the dual languages and being able to translate back and forth between multiple languages. A lot of people don't think about it, but numbers and finance is a language of its own and being able to translate that into normal business language or normal English for folks is a huge value in the in the organization and then making sure that the financial objectives are met and understood and really considered when making business decisions. Any mm -hmm. tips or tricks that you've learned along the way on how to take something that is very heavily finance oriented or financial oriented and make it easier for folks to understand? Yeah, a lot of times it's trying to understand the language that the other person speaks, right? Some people speak visual, so they like to see images. They like to see very simple trajectories or they like to see, basically, even, let's say when talking about inventory, they don't want to see an Excel spreadsheet that's loaded with information. But just picking up and their brain sort of like, what are you looking for and how can I help you see those that, that information and that data in, in this whole pile. So and that helped a lot. And also 
always being open to how financially literate is the other person? How much do they know of a balance sheet? What does it mean exactly that an expense is cash versus it's not on the P&L? So that's sort of just trying to, so I understand somebody else's language has been very helpful. So insightful. Like even just thinking about people as a visual language or a data language, like I'm probably a data nerd. And so I'm probably the data language who wants to see it on the spreadsheet. But the visual language, if I can translate it into that, would make it so much easier for some of my coworkers to understand. And I think that's really insightful and helps, honestly, it helps me a little bit in terms of thinking about how I present things to my coworkers going forward. Thank you for that. Absolutely. And you're currently at The Mix and at Titanium Worldwide. How long have you been there? Three years now. December 2nd was my anniversary. Congratulations. Oh, amazing. How did you, like, how did you transition into that role and anything that you want to share about what you currently do there? Yeah, of course. So I felt like at the place that I was, even though I loved the team that I was working with, I felt that I reached the plateau. So I decided to let me be open to what else is out there. And lo and behold, pretty soon, one of the recruiters contacted me with an offer that looks quite interesting. And I said, again, why not? Let's, let's see. Love that. Why not again? <laughs> exactly. Let's see what this is all about. And I was very attracted to the mixture and titanium at that point. Love the idea of the titanium collective, which I can explain a little bit more how the relationship between mix and titanium. But also what attracted me was that the mix was woman-owned and led, and through its 25 years of experience, have been really advocating for diversity and inclusion. So they advocated for this way before it was a movement in 2020. So their work is a lot based on LGBTQ and supporting minorities and hitting diverse markets. So... That's when I had a conversation with Robin Streisand, who's the CEO of both The Mix and Titanium. And we clicked right away, loves the energy. From the get-go, she told me, I'm a cement truck. I keep going. I have a lot And she said, I feel that you're sort of very well aligned with my mission and vision. So I would like to have you on board. I'm curious. How has it been being both a chief financial officer and a chief operations officer at the same time? It's not easy. It's not easy. However, it feels natural. It feels natural, especially for a small business. It feels like the two of them are so intertwined and they can support each other that it's good to have one person that it all funnels into. And... Even though, let's say that sometimes you do have to have two brains or one of them is really focusing on data, numbers, crunching, analyzing, compiling. The other operations, I see it more really people-oriented benefits of events, making facilities work for the team. Yep. Is I think when we were talking earlier, you mentioned that you had taken your company through the application to be a B Corp. And that sounds like a really big challenge. I almost 
almost a very difficult one, almost an impossible one. I would love to have you kind of dive into that. Let me start with why did they want to be a B Corp to begin with? Mm, yes. So we're very excited, super pumped that we achieved this certification. So the a little bit of the backstory of it is, as I mentioned, the mix is women-owned and operated and is also WBNC and NGLTC certified. So having and the fact that they've been really advocating for diversity and inclusion all these years, having that certification and, and seal of approval that it's valid, it's been important for the company. And sometimes in 2020, we've heard of the B Corporation certification and what it stood for. And it was a challenge, right? It was a challenge when we was presenting, can we be a vehicle? That would be so fantastic. It would be so, again, it would be just that seal of approval that all of our efforts that we've been doing for social, environmental, and for the community, for, for the work with our clients, it would be sort of like a, a, a crown, a dual crown that there's a certification and a stamp of approval to it. And in the same time, it would be so amazing to be part of this movement where to be in the same group with companies such as Nespresso and Dr. Broners and Havas Media, Atleta, Patagonia, right? Mm -hmm. They've all achieved a big corporation certification and they're all into this movement of for good. Like profits are not only for profits, they're all about doing more than that. So when did y'all start the process of applying for the certification? We started towards the end of 2020. It was an arduous process. It took 18 months. It went well through a very rigorous verification assessment. It was cruel at some point. <laughs> how many reports, how much data, how many questions. Drilling through hundreds of questions of governors and community and employees and pay equity analysis and how many of our suppliers are diverse and what exactly, how do we speak through our products and our clients and stakeholders involve, involvement. So it took 18 months and it took a village, it took a lot of effort from our team. But it, it was very rewarding in the end. So thinking through from a, like, we're, we're both operations people. Tactically, how did you go about starting this? What did you do first? Did you assemble a team? Did you hire an external agency? Like, what, what did you do first? So first, when I first heard about the B Corporation certification, I did my research. So like, okay, what is it exactly? What is the benefit of being a part of? Um, and then I found out how to start the application process. So we signed up, we started the application process. So I pretty much tackled one question at a time. It, I, I single-handedly did first half of the project, answering any question, providing any data that I could, it was a, it's an online assessment and sort of doing yeah. at a pace of about two, three hours a week. It took me about three months to come through the whole thing. It's a lot of time. Yes. Did and you ever have 
Like, how are you feeling as you went through this process? That's a lot of time to be investing in something if you're not sure it's going to work. I felt at, at some point I felt it was overwhelming, but in the same time I felt it's something worth working towards. It's something that not too many people have achieved. That's where the thousands of, the, there are thousands of applications in the line. It's not easy to, it, and a lot of people give up because it looks like it's a difficult verification process. So I felt like, oh, if you can crack this. <laughs> yeah, that kept me going. That's good. Like looking ahead at what the feeling is going to be when you solve it keeps you going. It's so true. I've heard a lot of people mirroring that sentiment as well. So you started filling out this application. You're spending two or three hours a week for a couple of months doing this. What happened next? So after we submitted the application, we waited for the B-Lab to respond and assign us an analyst. So once the analyst took us over, and again, they, they were very backlogged as well because there were thousands of applications and because it was COVID. And so it, I would say it took another two months to receive and to be assigned an analyst. So once we established admission, there were a couple of interviews with the analyst and more back and forth reports. Then we were asked to change our article of incorporation to incorporate as well that we are in a benefit corporation. Then again, it was, uh, it took a couple of months for that to process with the state. And in the end, I did ask for the support from the team because there were a lot of data about the type of work that we do for our clients and how we engage them and, and the results our products have in in reaching out underserved communities or the message that uh, the the products well, were aligned or not with the B Corporation standards. What were some of the benefits that you guys saw internally within your company after you got the certification? So we noticed that, first of all, most of the team was, I mean, the, the entire team were super hyped about having that acknowledgement today's employees. <laughs> they care about um, being part of a movement or being part of a company that's bigger than just day-to-day -day job. That's part of a bigger idea. So that's sort of like, wow, now we're part of movement, part of other companies that are doing the same thing. And our company cares about the planet and the environment and about the, the well-being of the employees. So it, they feel pride. And I've noticed a lot of them want to be part of Beehive, which is our community that's interacting with other B corporations. And they, they go to events, they, they go online to search other companies. They do their own shopping right now for from other big corporations. Nice. It's amazing the sense of a purpose and of mission that you can kind of rally behind when you have something like this. I've seen it with several organizations as well, that when you when you stand for something, people stand up with you and it's very, very powerful. What were some of the biggest lessons you learned as you went through solving this really difficult task, this really difficult problem? So I would say the, some of the biggest lessons were sort of like 
never give up. <laughs> yes. Keep, yes, keep persevering and sort of just consistently follow that goal. Definitely, it, it definitely helps to break down a big problem into small problems, into small things to solve. And then just taking one thing at a time and then rely on all resources possible. Ask team for support, ask outside counsel. We've ended up asking some other small co companies that we were, we found out along the way that they were pursuing the certification with us. What are you going through? What, what, how is your approach through this? Who are you consulting with? So definitely ask all resources tap into all resources possible. And I would say another thing that I've learned through this process and maybe through others as well is sort of like, just give yourself or every problem 20 minutes. So once you're 20 minutes in, your mind adjusts and sort of like makes it, everything impossible seems less impossible. <laughs> you know how it's when, when you, when you work out, it's like, it's not, you should pass that 20 minutes break and then your body's already in motion. Yes. Yeah. If you get, getting started is the really hard part a lot of times. And once you're started, it's a lot easier to keep going. So I've not heard that 20 minute rule, but I think I'm going to totally use that in my own personal life for things that I don't necessarily want to start, but I know I need to do. And so if I can just do it for 20 minutes, odds are I'll keep doing it and I'll get into it and I'll enjoy it. So that's really insightful. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Lena, you have solved something really big, really monumental. And not only is it a big problem, it's something that is a very worthwhile problem to solve. And so I'm very appreciative of you sharing those details with us, those lessons learned. I want, if you're okay with it, I would love to switch gears and go into our rapid fire questions at this point. I, I asked these of everybody at the end of the show. and would love to just kind of go through them with you now, if that works. Yeah, that works. Okay, sounds good. I am an avid reader, and so I love getting recommendations for books. Alina, what is one of the great books that you've read recently? I'm currently reading The Long Game, How to Be Long-Term Thinking in a Short-Term World by Dory Clark. Perfect. Who did you say the author was again? I think I missed that. Dory Clark. Dory Clark. Perfect. Mm -hmm. I've not read that one, but I will download that. I'll probably do it on Audible because I love listening to my books, but I will do that. What is your favorite podcast, excluding this one? I love The Knowledge Project with Shane Parrish. Perfect. What is that one about? I've not heard that one. So he touches upon a lot of topics, negotiations, also running businesses. He has guest speakers a lot about running a business and really like his conversation. I, I think he used to be in the military and negotiator, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. For me, self-improvement is something that I always focus on, making sure I am working on something to improve myself. And then when I'm mentoring somebody or interacting with someone, I always try to make sure that they have a plan for self-improvement as well. Is there something that you're actively working on for self-improvement? I am, yes. So I recently got accepted as a UBS fellow in, in, a, in a board fellowship program through the fourth floor. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> Thank you. 
So I'm very excited about it. It's a program that connects women board candidates, BIPOC entrepreneurs. So helping the founders and early stage companies grow and scale. So I'm really looking into developing myself as a board advisor and in the same time helping a small business with from a minority community. And it was called the fourth floor? The fourth floor is, yes, it, the fourth floor is the, the network and the program is called UBS Board Fellowship Program. Congratulations on being accepted to that. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you. I really am mm-hmm. enjoying it. All right. Last question. What is one piece of advice that you would give to someone who is facing their own impossible problem? I would say break down the impossible problem into small problems. It's a lot easier to tackle one at a time in small steps and be consistent. The discipline is really what got me through a lot. And as I mentioned earlier, I really like to think of each situational challenge, give myself 20 minutes through it, and then it will definitely look easier. I am going to try that. That is a new tool in my toolbox. I'm always adding new tools all the time. And this is one that I am excited to try out. And I have a feeling it's going to work. So thank you so much, Alina. We've really enjoyed having you on the show, have enjoyed having this conversation. And I'm a big admirer of everything that you and your company have done. So really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Karen. I thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it. Thank you.